right, welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. It is late September and for people like me who enjoy hunting in this amazing state, things are really heating up, things are getting exciting. Right around the corner we have general bear season opening up, we have bantail pigeon opening up, and one of my absolute favorites, squirrel season. And it just so happens that that's what we are talking about today on this episode of the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. We are talking about squirrel hunting, and we are doing it with none other than Jonathan O'Dell. Now, if you do not know why Jonathan O'Dell is the guy to talk to about squirrel hunting, not only in Arizona, but across this nation, uh, you're going to figure it out by the end of this episode. Uh, John's just a breath of knowledge and experience, and uh, yeah, he's got a lot to say about about this subject. Um, And let me tell you, if if you've never tried squirrel hunting, uh, you need to get out there and give it a shot. This animal is uh, somehow, it spans the gap of being perfect for the novice hunter. You know, I cut my teeth on on hunting squirrels when I was a child, uh, but it's still challenging for the most experienced hunter. And the table fare that results is absolutely amazing. So get out there, give squirrels a shot. You're not going to regret it. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode. But before we get into all that, let's talk about our uh, volunteer opportunities and, and events from some of our great conservation organizations here in the state of Arizona. First up, we have from Fly Fishers Arizona. They are starting their casting meetups again, and they start on September 21st, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Roadrunner Park, 3502 East Cactus Road in Phoenix. So this is an opportunity for you to get out there and and do some fly casting and improve on your fly casting with some experts. Uh, It's a free event. You can pull this off by contacting uh, John Doss at 623-229-8. Then, from our friends at Southern Arizona Quail Forever, they are letting us know that the Arizona Game and Fish Department is conducting an annual scaled quail flush count and box turtle survey on Saturday, October 29th. This is held, uh, let's see, the base of operations will be Stockton Pass Campground, located on US 266 East of Anita. The program or the group, forgive me, will get together Friday afternoon to load GPS units, and Southern Arizona Quail Forever will host a dinner of burgers and hot dogs. Friday night will be an opportunity to socialize and learn a little about quail, the quail. Let's see, survey runs will start early the next morning at 6.30 a.m. Volunteers with dogs are needed. We can also use some volunteers without dogs to record results. Uh, to volunteer, get more info, contact Zach May at Southern Arizona Quail Forever. That's S-O-A-Z-Q-F at gmail.com. Or call him at 520-301-8135. Then, from our friend Jim Strogen of the Pace and Flycasters Club, they are having their Introduction to Fly Fishing class at Green Valley Lake in Payson, Arizona. Now, I've heard, um, not from Jim, but from outside sources, that this is one of the best uh, fly fishing classes uh, to be had in Arizona. So you're going to want to check this out. Uh, Let's see. The fly fishing class is taught by Jim. Um, Learn the basics as well as tips and tricks that will help you catch more fish on a fly rod. This class features a classroom session and a lake session. Participants will learn about flies, knots, equipment, and much more in the morning session before heading to the lakes for some fly fishing in the afternoon. 
this is held on Saturday, October 22nd, uh, 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for the first session. Then for the lake session, 1 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. Let's see. If you do not have your own equipment, that's no problem. The rods and flies are provided by the Pace and Flycasters Club. If you have your own, feel free to bring it. Registration deadline for this class is October 14th. Uh, are until all 10 spots are filled. Sign up at PaysonRimCountry.com under the Adult Programs tab or contact Payson Parks Recreation and Tourism Office at 928-472-5110. Moving on uh, from our friends, Valley of the Sun, Quail Forever. We talked about this on our last episode in more detail, but just as a reminder, on Saturday, October 8th, they're having their Quail Day. This is a fundraiser with raffles and silent auctions and vendors, dog training info, the list goes on and on. Uh, it promises to be a great time. There's several different ticket prices uh, to get in and support the work that Valley Sun Quail Forever does. Um, and I will have a link below for you to check those out. So uh, again, it's October. Um, things in the sporting community are really heating up. This is only a small bit of the volunteer opportunities and events going on out there. So if you want a broader look at what's happening in Arizona and the sporting community, check that out. Arizona Game and Fish Department's Outdoor Skills Network. Uh, they keep a catalog and ongoing list of all the events happening in the state of Arizona, and it is a great resource. So with all that, um, I hope you're enjoying this fall weather. I hope you're gearing up for some great hunts, and I hope some of those are going to be squirrel hunts. Um, I know they will be after you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. So enjoy it, and I'll see you after the show. All right, I am. I'm sitting here with my friend John Odell, and and today we are here to talk about something very near and dear to me um, that I, I get more excited about than a lot of people, and that is squirrel hunting. Um, let's see how do how do I put this? I, I'm going to start with let's actually let's just go ahead and do an introduction. John, tell us who you are. Okay, what you do. <laughs> so my name is uh, Jonathan Odell. I am presently the uh, Migratory Game Bird Coordinator for the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Um, been with the department uh, over 16 years. Um, various roles. I, I first started in, uh, been in the game program the whole time. And uh, so I started with uh, the wildlife specialist. And so, you know, working with captures and big game and small game and mm -hmm. everything else. And then um, Followed that up, uh, started uh, with small game program, doing a lot of the upland stuff, quail and, and rabbits and squirrels and all that, and then mm -hmm. uh, moved into my current role, um, I guess about, oh, when was it, about five, six years ago, probably? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, regardless of specific titles, John is largely known statewide as the small game guy. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how I came to know, know John as well. Uh, and, and I'm going to I'm going to go down the road of how I met you, because I, I think it, I think it's interesting. Um, years ago, and I don't know if for some reason I have it in my head that I was a kid, but I, I couldn't have been a kid because I'm no older <laughs> than you. Right. Um, but I remember going through a field and stream magazine and, and some of the details of this might be off because, again, it's just a memory. But uh, and there was an article about this fella um, who had had shot all huntable species of tree squirrels in the United States. So. So for a lack of a better way to put it, the tree squirrel grand slam. And, uh, and this guy was standing there with like an 870 or something along those lines. And he had the mounts of these squirrels all on the wall behind him. And I was, uh, I was enthralled with it. 
I thought it was awesome because I love squirrel hunting <laughs> and, um, and I love chasing different species. Uh, so yeah, it blew me away. And, and that was that, you know, years, years went by and I move out here to Arizona. Um, and, and I'm just jumping back into hunting after, after taking a hiatus for a while. And of course I'm going to start with squirrels. Right. And, uh, so I forget why specifically I called you John, but I, I called John, um, uh, through the game and fish department. Cause I had questions, uh, to pester him about looking for some kind of critter, probably maybe squirrels. I don't remember what it was, but we ended up talking for a very long time and it occurred to me, it's like, Holy hell, this is that guy. This is that guy that <laughs> shot all those squirrels in field and stream. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's all history from there, but, uh, Talk about that a little bit, John. Tell yeah, me, so tell me um, that, how that happened. <clears throat> yeah, so I was. Uh, it, it it wasn't actually something that I like set out to do. Like it, like it wasn't like I had this idea and and by the end of the year, you know, I was going to have a, a plan in motion to to do this. What happened more was I was uh, I was looking at my fall travel schedule. Mm-hmm one year for work. And there was a, there was a wildlife society meeting in Monterey, California. And there was, uh, the dove wing bee, which happens every year that I always go out to out in Kansas city. Um, just at, just before Thanksgiving. And, you know, I was, I was sitting there and I was looking at everything and trying to, you know, take in total what that was and, and, you know, could I squeeze in any extra hunting? And it occurred to me all of a sudden, as I was looking at everything, I was like, I'm going to be in the range of all eight tree squirrels this year. And seasons are going to be open. And so I was like, um, wow, you know, I wonder if I could, if I could get them all, that would be kind of cool. And I actually, that same year I was working with, uh, the Smithsonian. Um, I was talking to Richard Thornton, his crew, he runs the mammals department, did run the mammals department at, uh, uh, the Smithsonian there. And as it turns out, the Smithsonian doesn't have everything. Um, as much as we would like to believe in terms of specimens and samples and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was working with them cause I, there was some, uh, specimens here from Arizona that they didn't have. Um, they needed like disarticulated skeletons of an Arizona gray squirrel and some other things. And, and so I, I was working with them and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll collect a bunch of these with you or for you this year and send them in. And so I kind of went on this massive hunt, which started in California in September. Uh, I went out, uh, I knew pretty much where to find Western gray squirrels, but I didn't know where to find Douglas squirrels and just happened to luck out that we ended up in a spot that had both. <laughs> so, yeah. um, that was kind of the first hurdle and then came back to Arizona. Our season started, I grabbed an Aberts and a, and a red squirrel real quick. And then, uh, I think an Arizona gray squirrel on a later trip. And then I flew out to, um, Kansas city, I hunted uh, gray squirrels in Missouri and then went to go see a friend of mine in Kansas because I'd heard that there was like some much better uh, fox squirrel hunting over there. And so uh, did that for a couple of days and, and bagged that. And I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of stressful mornings as you're kind of going through this. I mean, people would, might laugh at, you know, you're stressing out over squirrel hunting, but, you know, you, you get out early and you sit in the woods uh-huh. and, and, you know, like you're expecting to hear squirrels or see squirrels and there's just nothing for a little bit. And you're like, you know, like, like I've, I've already made it like over halfway. I've made it halfway to, to all eight squirrels. And, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, you know, Oh my God, is this the one that's going to blow up for me or whatnot? You know, like, like I haven't seen a fox squirrel all morning and, and, uh, you know, sure enough, 15 minutes later, you know, outbounds one out in front of me where, where it was like, okay. And, yeah. and a lot of times you gotta like, you just have to trust the skills you've developed as a hunter and know that, you know, if you stick to that, things generally turn out okay. Yep. You know, just, just use your faculties, use your that. And so I got back here to Arizona and at that point I had seven 
And, uh, I was getting them all mounted too. Like I was trying to find taxidermists who were, you know, so I, I think taxidermists all across the country. Like, um, I was getting, I was like, cause I just, I just thought it would be cool to have all eight, all eight of them mounted. So I came back here to Arizona for the final one, which was the, the Mexican fox squirrel. And, uh, and so I'm sitting out and I actually didn't get one the first two days I'd gone out there. Um, mm-hmm. hadn't even seen them. And I was just kind of like, it's one of those stressful moments again, like, like time's running out, the clock's ticking, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, am I going to get one? And, and sure enough, just, uh, lucked into one, you know, where it was just, it, I stopped to have lunch and, and I heard it messing around in the tree and I was like, Oh, there's one, you know? Yeah. So finally got that. Well, I called back to, um, uh, Richard Dorrington, the, the mammals curator at Smithsonian. Cause it got me thinking, I was like, I was like, man, these, this is pretty cool. I got a light species. Well, I was talking to him and I was wondering if some of the early, collectors for, for the U S biological survey, or, um, you know, it, it had to have been someone who had come through Arizona specifically. We, we knew that just because of the Arizona gray squirrel and, and species that are just, you know, right. specific to this area. And so I asked him, I said, Hey, do you happen to know? Cause Richard's seen more squirrel specimens than, you know, anyone on, on planet earth yeah. <laughs> from all over the world. And, and, uh, he said, uh, I, you know, did any of the early collectors, you know, get all eight squirrels? And, and he said, uh, well, let me, let me get back to you. Um, I'll have to check the records. And so a couple weeks later we're talking again. He's like, Hey, I, I just want to get back with you and let you know. Um, yeah, no, no one had ever taken all eight Bailey and Merns and Vale. They, you know, I think Bailey and Vale took seven of the eight. And I was like, Oh, cool. You know? And he's, we were talking about it and, and, uh, he said, well, you know, what'd you do with them all? And I said, Oh, I got them out. And he's like, do you want to, you know, put them here at Smithsonian? And I was like, heck no, man, these are mine. <laughs> like, um, and so he he basically told me, he's like, you're pretty much probably the only person outside of the Smithsonian museum to have all eight specimens, wow. um, sitting on your wall. It's probably the only, you know, private collection for sure. Um, and so that's when it kind of was like, was like, wow, I'd done this. Well, fast forward a little bit. Um, uh, Everyone kept telling me, you know, it's kind of a cool story. And then um, somehow I got connected with Phil Borgley, who was a writer for Field and Stream. Mm-hmm. He thought it was the greatest story ever. He's yeah. like, dude, like we have to write this up. Like, like we got to do this. He went to the editors and they were like, nope, not interested. Yeah. Um, you know, small game. It's not cool. Uh, all that other stuff. And he was so bummed. He's like, he's like, no, he's like, I think this is like the greatest story ever, you know? And, uh, um, we were talking, he's like, he's like, do you have photos? I was like, you kidding me, man? I took photos everywhere I went. He's like, maybe we can do this as an online blog. And so, um, you know, he's like, I'll help you do cut lines and stuff. And we, we put the pictures up. So the first time it hits, um, kind of the, the national airwaves, I did this in 2009. And so this is maybe 2010 mm-hmm. when we put the blog out. Um, there was only, it was November 15th. I remember it distinctly because I was at the Wingby in Kansas city when Phil called me and said, Hey, we put it up. <clears throat> and so it was kind of cool. And, um, I, I think, you know, everyone, including probably the editors of Field and Stream at that time really underestimated like the interest. Um, I, th- I think as most hunters in America do in most of the right, industry, right. they underestimate, how powerful the small game mm-hmm. kind of community is and particularly in squirrel hunters just because yeah. it's there's a, there's a massive community that that is kind of underserved uh in a lot of ways well so in 45 days from november 15th to the end of december um it becomes the number one blog post for the entire year on on field and stream like anything else in the rest of the year like it just it just took off like wildfire well because it was so popular mm-hmm. 
they took that main image of me standing there with the 870 and all the, the squirrels and republished it in the um, first few pages of the February issue of 2011 um, of the actual magazine and then had a link back, you know, saying, hey, go check out, you know, the blogs on, on fieldandstream.com. And then, yeah, it was, it was, it, it was on forums. It was, it took off pretty far and wide, um, yeah. after that. But, um, yeah, I wasn't, like, like I said, it was never like a, like, you know, setting out to do it for any recognition or anything, but it was, it was just, yeah, let me do it for me. And then it's other people were like, you know, you should tell it story. Cause it's, yeah. It's it's not like uh, a bighorn sheep grand slam or you know something like this is this is hunting that every man can and you know some do. Right. Um, it was affordable. You yeah. know, probably the most affordable. <laughs> yeah. You know, species slam that you can get out there. So. Huh. Well, John, um, that this makes you a big deal in my world anyway. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, though, you're right. Um, you know, in social media. Uh, you know, I've got an Instagram page that I use as a photo album of my hunting and fishing pursuits, um, foraging. But um, the only things I've had close to going what we would call viral are squirrel photos. I mean, simply a few dead squirrels laying by a twenty-two rifle. They blow up. And, of course, a lot of that's bad press, too. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had some really good conversations developed from that bad, bad press as well. But, yeah, there's something about squirrels. People just kind of go crazy about them. Yeah. Um, and, and they're fascinating. Imagine if you imagine if you did not live somewhere where they were running around in your city park sure. and you'd never seen an animal like this with this big bushy tail that's uh, acrobatic and running around and jumping around in trees. They're amazing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's uh, squirrels are, are kind of unique in a way that, um, you know, there are only two countries in the world that sport hunt squirrels. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the United States and Russia, um, where where it's. You know, it's sport hunted. It's not like, you know, a lot of the other countries where if they do have squirrels, it's more bush meat. Like huh. it's not uh, for I wasn't aware. For what sporting are, what are purposes. the species over there? Um, in, in Russia? Yeah. Uh, they have, uh, uh, the species actually looks almost identical to the Aberts, except it's red. Um, oh, so it's the Eurasian right. red squirrel. Photos, the Eurasian yeah. red squirrel up in, up in North um, wow. uh, Russia. And I think there's a, a, maybe a couple more. It's, you know, geographically, Russia's pretty huge. So. Right. Um, but, uh, most of the other countries that have, uh, any form of tree squirrels, it's, it's more bush meat if they end up taking them. Like it's mm -hmm. not, they're not hunting for, for, you know, kind of the, the, the meat or the egalitarian, you know, reasons I think that, that we hunt today. But, um, the rest of the world, uh, their perspective on Americans eating squirrel is that's our weird food. Mm-hmm. Um, squirrels and frogs. Yeah. They, most of the rest of the world cannot believe that Americans eat. They, they think that's gross. And yeah. we look at other countries who are like, you know, eating octopus eyeballs or yeah. <laughs> like some very strange. It's, it's, so to me, it's, it's kind of interesting from that perspective as well that, um, you know, like it's, it's kind of our oddball thing, but right. you know, there's, there's a, a very strong community, um, uh, here as well as, as in Russia that are just, you know, super dedicated squirrel hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I want to talk about um, all this. Let's see, how many species do we have in the United States? Huntable species. Okay. Um, well, so if you're just talking about tree squirrels, mm -hmm. there are eight in the United States. Okay. Um, there's a few more in Mexico, right. um, just the south of us, uh, and there, you know, there, there's two categories. Um, there's the 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 Cyrus genus, mm -hmm. um, which are the big ones, Aberts, Greys, Foxes. Yep. That kind of stuff. And then uh, the smaller ones, which are the Tamaya Cyrus, 
genus, which uh, are the, the small guys. So the red squirrel, the Douglas squirrel, and then uh, in Mexico they have the uh, the Merns um, squirrel. There's only okay. three of them in that. The Mern squirrel is uh, endangered um, and is protected. That's really kind of the only major tree squirrel we can't hunt. And then, of course, we have flying squirrels, and then we have ground squirrels. And so um, that list expands out pretty big, um, you know, once, once you start including all the categories, because technically a lot of them can be hunted. Um, you know, they're as big as marmots um, mm-hmm. are, you know, probably our largest. And then, you yeah. know, you get all the way down to, like, chipmunks right. and ground squirrels right. um, for the small ones. So, <laughs> Well, for the huntable species, uh, I guess, you know, the, the most – uh, probably popular, famous, well-known would be the Eastern Greys mm-hmm. and Eastern Fox. Um, then, you know, I, I guess I can't skip over the East and not include Pine Squirrels as well uh, mm-hmm. up in the Northeast. Appalachians. Appalachians. Yeah. But then as we get out here in West, we are particularly suited um, in a great spot here in Arizona. What do we have? Five, five species? Uh, yes. Five, five distinct species with... Um, uh, the Eberts has two to three subspecies mm-hmm. um, with, between the Kaibab and, and Standard. And then um, there's a possibility that the Arizona gray squirrel might have subspecies, but we're not sure. So yeah, a um, so little variety. Yeah. And um, let's see. So I, I guess I, I'll, I'll throw out there the, the, the Kaibab squirrels because I was just at the Kaibab uh, yesterday. And uh, they, are, they are one of the more magnificent as far as showy squirrels I think we have here in the United States. And, and John was actually with me um, when I shot my first. That, that was really exciting. Um, we, were, we were actually on a uh, swan hunt, which was probably a once-in-a-lifetime hunt for me and a very special <laughs> hunt up in Nevada. Um, so, so thanks for that opportunity. Uh, but, yeah, on the way back, I was sweating it, too, because I was trying to finish this, uh, this mountain um, uh, level of the small game Arizona small game challenge and I, I was stressed because we, we looked for them on the way up and didn't find them and, and I, I was panicking about it and then uh, then we made time to stop on the way back down and I think that's how it folded out and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and got it but wow what a beautiful animal blew me away but okay so here in Arizona we're particularly lucky uh, you know we and we've got it's hard to even mention these without going into them. And believe it or not, even though we're just talking about squirrel hunting here, I'm worried about having time to get, to get everything in. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, uh, we, the Aberts is the uh, the most common and abundant, widespread, I should say, throughout uh, Ponderosa Pine Forest here mm-hmm. in Arizona. And a beautiful big squirrel, absolutely delicious to eat. Um, and then we have, you know, the, the variations or subspecies of that, like the Kaibab, which is just gorgeous, but same habitat, same, same natural history in a sense. Um, the Arizona gray squirrel, which was an era, interesting, you know, if you come from back east, cause it is a gray squirrel and it kind of lives in our riparian areas, um, or there's more oak and things like that. But, uh, when you get one in hand, which I've only had one in hand, but then it becomes very apparent it's a fox squirrel and it's not a gray squirrel at all. Yeah. 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 That's. It's it's always the big misconception. So there's there's three gray, quote unquote gray squirrels in America: yep. Eastern, Western, and Arizona. Uh, and the Arizona looks almost identical to the Eastern mm-hmm. in terms of coat and coloration and and you know all that. But yeah, actually they're they're a fox squirrel. So behaviorally, um, they're uh, the way you can tell the difference between a, a, a gray squirrel and a fox squirrel is their their dentition. It's mm-hmm. how many teeth they have in their head. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking for one of them has one more premolar the tooth than the other one does. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you can tell. That's that's how science dis- determines the difference between the two. So. Right. All right. So then we have um, the pine squirrel, um, which is you know basically a higher elevation um, aspen conifer 
uh, type areas uh, and abundant in those places. And they're the little guys. Um, and then all the way down in one mountain range in Arizona, we have the Mexican fox squirrel, a.k.a. Chiricahua fox squirrel. And they're, they're a very special animal, uh, very different in a lot of ways in, in their natural history, the way they reproduce, their behavior, their abundance. Um, so not, not an animal that you're going to go after if you want to you know, fill a bag full of squirrels and you know, have a barbecue, but a very special animal, just the same and interesting to go chasing on their own and a beautiful place for sure. Um, I'll also add that since John has finished out his his squirrel slam years ago, um, you know, lead, lead, pioneering the way for, for the rest of us dorks that like this kind of stuff, <laughs> um, a mutual acquaintance of ours that has uh, been on this podcast before, Hank Shaw. Hank Shaw, is, as far as we know, is probably the second person to ever pull this off. No, actually, he we, we know he wasn't the second. Oh, no. So um, okay. there was... Um, the uh, director of West Virginia, yeah. um, came and fish after I had, I had completed it. He was like, Oh, I need to do this. Oh yeah. Um, well, this so is him news and, me. uh, there was another gentleman with him who did, did the exact same thing. Um, right. and so I think Hank is about, um, I think fourth, um, Aww. on that list. Well, I was um, hoping to be third. <laughs> but all I got to do is make one tr- quick trip to California yeah. and I'll get it all done. Well, and, and so, yeah, Hank, Hank did it over time. I mean, like, I, I think the true feat in mine um, really lies more in the fact of doing it in one season. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that to me was just kind of like, it was, it was a special season, you yeah. know, going from September to December, getting all eight, you know, yeah. um, because most other things, it, it does take time. It does, you know. Sure. Um, uh, now, I will say in Hank's defense that he just completed the American Small Game Slam um, yeah. with his last bird. Um, mm-hmm. So now he has shot officially every small game species that it's classified as game. Yeah. Um, finishing it out with his his ptarmigan um so he finished out the grouse and stuff so he's he's had all the rabbits all the hares all the squirrels all the (laughs) quail all the you know to to get every single one of those over the course of time right um to have to have taken them as well as eaten them uh the big deal so yeah yeah and the the man knows how to how to treat treat an animal well in the Uh kitchen oh wow um, all right. I didn't know. I knew he had just gone, gone up to Alaska, um, and did a, a kind of a grouse slam up there, but I didn't know that was finishing them, them all. Out that was, for him. that was the final of, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I struggle a little bit, um, with these fellas that look at small game as being for children. In fact, I don't, I don't even like to, to give the idea, you know, in any any thought or space or airtime but you do hear it and it's frustrating to me um because squirrels they're 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 not easy to hunt you know they they can be tough Hmm. um and you've got to be able to shoot in fact i i I give credit uh you know squirrel hunting for teaching me how to shoot um Hmm. you know you've got a a target you know the size of what a quarter you know if you want to make an efficient shot on the head and into the you know brain cavity um sometimes 20 to 50 yards away. And in order to make a shot like that, you got to be able to shoot. Um, mm-hmm. If you're using a 22, um, yeah. you know, it taught me how to breathe. It taught me how to squeeze that trigger. Um, and it gave me enough practice that I could clearly see the difference. You know, when I did take my time, when I did calm myself, when I did squeeze that trigger, I, I would, that squirrel would fall out of the tree every time. And when I didn't, if I was rushing, if I was excited, if I was afraid he was going to run, so I rushed, I miss every time. So there, there's a lot to say for, for the skill um, you gain 
in, in hunting these animals. Um, they've got a an elevated perch in which to see you coming from. They have great ears to which to hear you from. Um, they're not easy to get close to. You yeah. know, and it, it's a misconception, you know, that small game is, is necessarily a child's thing. Um, it, it's not by any any stretch of the imagination, in my opinion. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say it for myself. Nobody else is saying it. But those those fellas that say this stuff, uh, they're they're foolish. They're foolish. They're, they're yeah, it's it's um, it's kind of a developing. It's a consequence of where we are today mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. We we now the hunting community as a whole is a big game centric culture mm-hmm. um, where, you know, let, let's let's go back to early conservation, um, we weren't a big game culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, deer were almost non-existent in the Southeast, like, <laughs> like they are today. Turkeys were nearly gone. Elk were at low numbers. Pronghorn were at low numbers. Like all the big game that you hunt today were in incredibly low numbers. And so for the hunting public who was out there, what those were, I mean, essentially the lean years, you know, as you could call them. I mean, wildlife was at its lowest point in 1928. What carried hunters, the American hunting culture forward and through um, in terms of tradition and and getting out in the field and and where we are today were the small, small game species. It was quail, it was rabbit, it was squirrel. You know, these were the things that hunters took and harvested. Um, but you know, today it's like, oh, it's almost forgotten. You know, like like you're not. It's there's a there's a machismo, you know, aspect to having the biggest antlers or the biggest horns or, mm-hmm. you know, any of that other stuff. And a lot of those, some of those, you know, species, it's 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 terrible that they're reduced to a number. Um, you know, in terms of like, you know, what do they score? And you know, I mean, it's it, that's it's that's great for comparative reasons you know, looking at, at animals compared to other animals and, and things like that. But if, if all it is, is, is to get to that end, you know, um, it particularly ignoring, you know, a lot of the other hunting opportunities that are out there, which are small game. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of a sad state of affairs, but you know, it's look at the covers of hunting magazines, you know, (laughs) how often do you see small game on the cover? You know, I mean, it's, it's not where it's, I remember fur fishing game. Yeah, that was the one magazine that, that seemed to highlight these things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you could you could look at most hunting magazines, and it's it's yeah. buck giant, buck giant whitetails. You know, turkey turkey fish fish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and rarely do you see a, a small game species on the cover. Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, we just passed September first, which is a major milestone. Um, you know, in oh, the, yeah. it's kind of the start start to hunting seasons, yeah. and if you look across the country. That's generally the start of chucker season. It's the start mm-hmm. of grouse season. It's the start of dove season. You know, many of these places, the southeast of squirrel hunt season's been open for quite quite some time down there. They yeah. have a great summer season that carries through fall. But um, you know, it's it's small game kind of is what rings the bell, ushering in the next harvest season. If you look at it as, <clears throat> as a cyclical nature, yep. you know, small game are the it's September first. It's they're the hallmark, and there you go. You know. Um, so at least there's still cultural aspects that, that are small game, but they certainly don't receive the due. I think that they, they genuinely deserve. So, yeah, well, I'm, I want to, I want to eventually get into, you know, more techniques, how to that sort of thing. Uh, but before that, how, how did you get started in this? I mean, wh- where did you, I mean, for, for me, it's a very clear memory, you know, <clears throat> of 
where this came from and why sure. I was so excited. But how did you get into this? So, uh, I mean, my family was very much growing up in my family. It was a hunting and fishing family, mm -hmm. um, no doubt. But we had a a little bit more of a subsistence style mindset. Um, the the kind of the rules were was you shot the first legal thing that, that came in, sure. and if a group came in. Pick the biggest one and shoot that one because <laughs> we were trying to feed people, you know, it didn't have anything to do with size of, of antlers or horns. And so, so it, it was about, you know, return on investment in terms of meat. Mm -hmm. Um, so you wanted, you know, all the big animals. And so we really didn't hunt small game as much. I mean, we, we did a lot of duck and goose stuff. Um, I think that was just productive, um, meat gathering, yeah. uh, if you will. Uh, during, you know, the, the much, much colder months when all the other seasons are, you know, like you're, you're not chasing after those things until, uh, you know, the next season or whatnot. So, um, never really, I mean, you know, I saw red squirrels. I know they, you know, they'd scream and yell at me yeah. as I was walking through the woods looking for elk and stuff, but, um, yeah, never harvested them, never tried them. And then, uh, moved down here to college in, uh, Arizona, uh, at ASU and was trying to, to get back into hunting did not understand the draw system. I mean, it's just, it's completely oh, yeah. a different system from Montana. And so, um, I was, I was flailing at the time <laughs> trying to understand the draw. And, uh, there was, uh, another hunter in my, um, wildlife classes and, uh, he, he came in after the draw, um, happened and he's like, Hey, did you get drawn for anything? I was like, no, not this time. You know, not again. I, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I said, yeah, it'll, it's it's probably better because, you know, with all the schoolwork and stuff that I just, you know, focus on that and I don't even get out. He's like, well, you can get out anyway. And I was like, I was like, doing what? And he's like, he said, why don't you go squirrel hunting? I'm like, what? <laughs> go yeah. squirrel hunting? And and so uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've never done this before. And uh, he, he helped me out. He pointed on, a, you know, on a map, said, hey, you know, there's a bunch of squirrels up here. You know, go check this out. So I went up there um, with my license and a shotgun and um, went to that spot and literally had the funnest day of hunting that I had ever had. Um, you know, it was it was that excitement of being almost childlike again, where, you know, like the opportunity was everywhere and it, I was it was doing something new and, and actually being successful at it. And so, you know, I mean, like I just kind of caught this this fever um, if you will, of like, like squirrels are it, man. Like this is, this yeah. is, this is a fun time. So, uh, well for me, uh, way back when I was a kid, I, um, absolutely was ate up with fishing. I don't know where it came from, but I mean, it's, and, and of course I still am today, but that's all I thought about as a child. So, uh, you know, we were at that age where we'd ride bikes around the neighborhood and a couple other neighbor kids told me, Hey, there's this kid that lives another block up, which might as well have been 20 miles at that age. And, uh, and he likes to fish and I was like, oh, really? So, so we hook up and, you know, immediately hit it off. We're riding our bikes out to farm ponds, uh, you know, all summer long, but then summer ended and, uh, I was always raised, like, we don't hurt animals. I guess, I, you know, I guess my mom didn't count fish, but um, right. that's how I was raised. So fall came around and, uh, he's like, well, it's time to go hunting. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't know about that. Um, but we go out anyway and we go squirrel hunting just in the woods that have always been across. I mean, I grew up playing in, but just never thought about hunting. And, uh, and we brought back a big old fox squirrel that day and, 
I was just, I immediately knew this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, and I had to go home and tell my mom and she handled it better than I thought that, you know, I had to tell her I was going to be a hunter now. Um, but, uh, and yeah, you know, for several, several falls and winters following that, we, we, we gave them hell, you know, I mean, we, we put it in the squirrel population around there, but, uh, and it's always stuck with me when I go out today as an adult, I still feel the same way. I mean, it's, it's just fun. Uh, I don't know how else to put it, but, and uh, let let me inject one story here before I move on. Just because I think it's a good story. Um, actually there's two, but I think it's still one. Uh, once when I was kid, we did this with pellet guns, which is not the most efficient weapon, especially back then, you know, mm. it was like a Daisy Powerline 880, you know, it wasn't the really nice, nice air rifles that we have today. But, um, I was grounded from my pellet gun for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but I, I was grounded from it. And, uh, well, I, I should say BB gun. We couldn't afford pellets, but, um, <laughs> and, uh, my mom worked nights though. So I snuck out my BB gun that day and I went squirrel hunting while she was asleep. Well, I went farther than I had ever gone before through the woods, and I ended up outside of our prison, our county prison. And in my, you know, probably 13-year-old mind, I thought, well, as long as I'm not in that fence, that's cool, right? Um, and it's it's all nice and manicured, park-like, and there's squirrels everywhere. So I'd already shot one squirrel, and I'm sitting there pumping up my, you know, rifle 10, 12 times to, to take a shot at another one, and I hear this intercom saying, you know, drop your weapon, and I'm just like... I'm just a kid. They're not talking to me. I don't know what's going on, but so I carry on. Next thing you know, here comes a squad car. I'm screaming up to a halt. Uh, officer jumps out, has a has a pistol leveled at me, um, and screaming at me to throw my gun down. And finally, it occurs to me, yes, this I, I am what all this is about. <laughs> and uh, so I throw that gun down. And they take me up, um, and uh, the worst part was, of course, they called my mom, um, and she had to get up, <laughs> and, you know, even though she had to work that night, and come down there and get me. They had my squirrel in a black plastic bag, but I'm pretty sure there's still people at the prison telling that story. It was not a great experience for me, and gosh, the Lord knows, you know, these days, uh, how that could have ended otherwise. You know, right. it been a lot worse situation, but you know, I was just just naive kid. But, um, all right, let's, let's move into, uh, some, some technique and, and how to on this stuff. Um, right. All right. So, uh, probably focus this around Abert's cause that's our most common, yeah. common uh, tree squirrel here. And, uh, so first off, let's start with weapon choice. Um, yeah. what do you prefer? If you want to start the biggest fight in squirrel hunters, it's the difference between a shotgun and a rifle. Uh, <laughs> Like that's, that's I believe it. major I'm, I'm controversy on my side of it. So. Major controversy here w- between squirrel hunters on, on the use of shotguns versus rifles. They're the, the purest who think, you know, should only be a rifle. Um, because you know, you're, you're essentially becoming a skilled marksman. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they're like, well, you know, shotguns just such a, a brute force weapon and this and the other thing. Um, the reality of it is they both have advantages. Mm-hmm. Um, with a shotgun, you actually have to get closer to the squirrel than you do with a rifle. Yep. Um, you know, you have to sneak in a lot closer, and 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 that can be challenging often a lot of times. So um, I use both. It just depends on mm-hmm. kind of the experience I want to have. Um, yep. And so you know, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, too snobbish on on yeah. one versus the other. So. Yeah, I'm a little snobbish. I will say, when, when I did graduate from that BB gun, um, my my first uh, real gun was a break action twelve gauge Savage 
uh, that was missing a trigger guard. I bought from one of my <laughs> brother's buddies for 20 bucks and I had that gun for years and hunted everything with it. But, um, and I hunted squirrels with it for, for a lot of years. Yeah. Uh, but as, as an adult, um, I prefer 22. I, I like those clean headshots. I, I don't want a blemish on the meat. Sure. But, and I, I know there's, there's tricks to, to doing a clean job with a shotgun yeah. as well. And there's, there's certainly safety uh, elements to shooting a shotgun as well that I, yeah. I don't ignore as well. Yeah. And I think, um, so, you know, just for listeners out, I mean, my buddy Clifton Jackson, who the Jackson squirrel rifle oh, is yeah. named after. I, for, I forgot um, to bring that one up. I'm glad you did. Um, so he actually shoots 22 mag. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay. I have another friend who's like exclusively 17 HMR. Um, I don't understand that. And though. so it, it headshots. Just yeah, but, mm-hmm. I mean, is it just flatter trajectory? What's what's the the benefit of that versus a regular twenty two long rifle? Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. it. Um, okay, you know, just it's it, it's very effective. Yeah, uh, for what well, it does. So you I've, have options. You have you have choices. I will I'll say this: the photos I've seen of people that hunt with the, the seventeen HMR are not as attractive as the photos of the people that hunt twenty two. <laughs> sure. So, um, I like my twenty two long rifle, and I'll, I'll fight you over it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I guess that covers it. I guess there's really not that too much to squirrel. No, I, and and I will say that if you, if you are shooting squirrel, um, the bigger consideration of whether, you know, gauge and all that other stuff, the biggest consideration is shot size and that would be six. Yeah. Um, and I actually use a, I use a mix of, um, low base as well as high base sixes. Yeah. Um, because of distance concerns. If you have a squirrel, that's a little bit further away. You know, thicker, denser cover. Um, you know, using the high base works a lot yeah, better than, than some of the low base stuff. So, so do you when you're hunting with a shotgun, do you just go center mass and, and no, blast no, away, no. or are you trying? I've to- I've learned my pattern and my my gun that I actually use for squirrel hunting pretty well, mm-hmm. and so I, I practice what I call edging. Yeah. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is hit the squirrel with the edge of the pattern. Gotcha. Um, with those those sixes, so you're you're kind of doing a mental calculation of your head of how wide is the pattern at the distance that that squirrel mm-hmm. is from you, and not shooting them square on, but you know off to the side. Um, okay. So that way you're you only catch them with a few pellets and stuff like that. So you're not you know doing uh, tremendous amounts of damage. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah. And and for the folks that are listening, you you mentioned the the Jackson squirrel rifle. Yeah. Um, just to. to, to elaborate on that a little bit i mean i'll say that and i i learned about it from you years ago but um you know for for the the hardcore squirrel hunter this is the finest um finest rifle i think anyone anyone can have that that's yeah. dedicated to squirrel hunting. yeah cooper firearms in montana um uh, bill cooper used to work for kimber in the early days of kimber and then struck out on his own to create um uh, Cooper's custom firearms out of Montana. Yeah. Um, he was showing his guns very early on, ended up down in Arkansas, you know, kind of, kind of highlighting stuff, ran into my buddy Clifton at the, at the local sporting goods store and Clifton was talking to him about squirrel hunting and that. Cause at that point, all he had was center fire rifles and, uh, they were hanging out in town for a few days and they hadn't been squirrel hunting forever. And so Clifton took them out. They had such a wonderful time. They went home they said, we're going to build Clifton a rifle. So they built a 22 and sent it to him. And then they called Clifton up and said, hey, you know, um, what do you think of the rifle sound? He's like, oh, it's a beautiful gun, you know, all that stuff. He's like, what, what, what do you mean? You don't like it? He's like, well, you know, I mean, probably not my preference on the on the best, you know, things for a squirrel rifle. And, and so he's like, well, what, what would you do to a squirrel rifle? And that whole time he was writing down everything Clifton was saying about, you know, different features and all that stuff. Went back to the drawing board built the gun exactly as Clifton described it 
mm-hmm. and sent him the new one. And so that's how the, the Jackson score rifle was born. Now, Cooper uses the Jackson styling package on all their rifles. Um, so that's an option you can get for their any of their big game rifles as well because it, it really is a good quality comfortable firearm um to, to shoot with and so um so yeah jackson's name will live on you know in the history books of the score rifle as well as a, a number of cooper's custom firearms wow. but uh it's a it's it's an expensive gun i'm not gonna not gonna sugarcoat that at all um even without a scope yeah. <laughs> straight from the factory i mean you're you're looking at you know upwards of a couple grand um and uh but really really great wood um you know beautiful 22 it's it's a, it's a custom bolt action gun mm-hmm. um without a doubt so but it is it is a, an amazing amazing gun to shoot yeah. the accuracy of it is just un- unbelievable so i've only seen photos but it is a beautiful rifle no yeah. question oh yeah there's there's and there's uh, you can buy your own i mean clifton gives me grief all the time about you know like how come i don't have mine yet but it's because i'm a you I'm, sh- john you are arguably famous squirrel hunter <laughs> um in which which might sound funny but in this small world yeah john odell's he's it um so yeah why well, you should have one of those well so one of the weird things is, is i'm a cross dominant uh, cross eye dominant shooter yeah so i'm right-handed but i shoot left and i hate left-handed guns um, oh. And so I shoot right-handed guns left. Well, the Jackson score rifle has a has a Monte Carlo style cheek piece. Oh. And so if you take a right-handed Monte Carlo cheek piece and put it on my left cheek, the the sharp edge of it is in my cheek instead of it I being the, the round side. So I need a I need a right-handed gun in a left-handed stock, <laughs> wow. and I want to have Clifton sign it. So it's one of these days. I know um, uh, I'm I'm going to reach out to Cooper Fire because I they, I know they can do it. They can yeah. easily do you know just move that. Monte Carlo on the opposite side right. for me, and that sounds so. complicated and frustrating. <laughs> but it's still no excuse for at least not having one sitting in the corner of your office. Oh, well, sure, right. maybe. All right, so sticking with the gear theme, then, uh, what else do you need to do this? What do, what do you need when you're going to Squirrel Woods? Uh, I realize you probably don't need anything but your gun, but yeah, what's you, helpful? You, you honestly don't need anything uh, but a gun to get out there. Um, you know, I, I bring your wits about you, mm-hmm. bring your senses. Um, you know, some of the most effective ways to squirrel hunt really deal with uh, looking and listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, moving silently helps as well, but often more times than not, like if you spend enough time in the woods, this is this is just one of those like woodman craftsmanship, you know, skills that you develop when you're out there is you notice when a branch is moving funny. Mm-hmm. Like, like even, I mean, like if it's a still day and there's a branch movement, obviously, you know, yeah. that, that, but if there's, you know, ponderosa pine trees, they wave in the wind. I mean, that's, that's what they're, but you know, all of a sudden you'll see a branch that's not in sequence with all the rest, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're kind of like, what's going on there? You know, that, that helps, um, you know, uh, on, on quiet days, listening for, for, you know, pine cone, uh, the, the, um, uh, the little scales off the pine cones fall into the ground because yeah. um, they're they're up there chewing on one or you know you just you just hear you'll hear squirrels probably more often than you see them uh, to start with unless they're out running on the ground for singing in the morning yeah. you know and you kind of stumble across them um, I think those are probably two of the biggest things just you know looking and 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 listening um, probably two of the greatest skills yeah. you can do to, to be a successful Everett's squirrel hunter. Um, they're, they're a unique squirrel. They're, they're not like gray squirrels and fox squirrels. I mean, I think that's kind of important to point out as far as the big tree squirrels. Yeah. Um, they're, they're different. 
uh, in a lot of ways. Um, they're, they're only in the ponderosa pine forest, you know, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, a little bit in Utah. Um, but, uh, and they occupy this thing. They're, they're strange looking. They have those bigger tufts and things like that, yeah. but they operate quite a bit differently than the other squirrels do. Yeah. Um, certainly in food and, oh, wait, we're getting ahead of me. I was going to, I was going to go into technique here in a minute, <laughs> but, um, I want to talk more about this, but oh, what are your thoughts on camouflage? Where are we going? Uh, I do like wearing it yeah. just just for the sake of it. Um, is it necessary? Mm, not really. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll find that you know sitting still is the best camouflage you can have. Right. Um, you know if you if you can figure out how to just be still and not move. Yeah. Um, that's better than anything. Right. So. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I do like camouflage though. Um, yeah. I, I think it does make a difference. I mean, think about it. You're a mammal. You can see. And if there's two fellas standing in the woods, one is in solid clothes, um, much less bright clothes, and one's in camouflage, who are you going to pick out? Yeah. Pretty easy. Um, but, yeah, not necessary, but certainly helpful. Um, another uh, piece of equipment that I've gotten very used to, and I almost feel like I, I'm I'm really handicapping myself without, is binoculars. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When you get a squirrel up a tree, he knows you're there and he's hiding. Um I mean, there's a high percentage of those animals that I would lose if I did not have binoculars to pick them out. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, certain behaviors like gray squirrels and fox squirrels. Some, you know, some of their behaviors, one of, one of their behaviors is when, you know, they feel threatened or, you know, in danger is they grab a hold of a branch, Mm -hmm. lay down on it and just hug it. Yeah. And that's what makes them nearly vanish when they're up in a tree and, and you can't see them even though yeah. they're they're looking out in plain sight. I mean, that's where their camouflage colors in their coat, kind of that cryptic, you know, uh, salt and pepper look or, or, you know, I mean, like they just blend in and vanish. You yeah. Know, so. Huh. Until I, I found that if you're patient enough, a squirrel has spotted you, he's hiding. If you just stand there or you have a seat and you just wait, you'll get frustrated. He'll start chirping. He'll start wiggling that tail and show himself. Oh, yeah. But it takes some patience to wait for him to get comfortable enough to do that. Yeah. Heavily pressured places that have a lot of hunting pressure. um, Squirrels have that, you know, like particularly in the south, in the southern United States. um, Those those squirrels are super leery. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, they won't, they won't even get to that point. You right. know? <laughs> yeah. They, they know that, that, you know, danger's in the woods. We just got to yeah. wait it out. Yeah. You know, these A-birds here, um, because they've never had like serious hunting pressure on them, uh, over time, mm-hmm. they, you know, they will hide much the same way, but it doesn't take near as long. Um, because they get annoyed because you're they're they're a little territorial. They're you know there's some there's some turf stuff there. They don't care what species it is. You know, uh-huh. elk, bear, coyote, <laughs> cat, yeah. human. You know they're going to come out and they'll start barking at you after a while if you right. just sit quiet for a while. Um, yeah. Well, all right. So you already touched on on still hunting and, yeah. and uh, for whatever reason, still hunting is is actually moving while you're hunting, but very right. quietly, slowly. You know, spending more time standing still than you are actually moving, um, and and conversely, you know, the other other method would be sit and wait. Uh, find yourself in a in a good place. You know, there's going to be squirrels around, and you just sit down on your butt, and um, and that can be unbelievably successful. Especially back east, I've had times where I, I've shot a limit by sitting in one spot and not moving with a twenty two rifle. Hmm. Um, the whatever reason the crack of the 22 is not enough to really put those guys away for a long time and you can shoot one and you can let him drop and you just sit there and wait and they'll all start moving again especially if you're on a good uh, mass producing tree mm. um, and which is a little bit different than what we have going out here uh, with the abert squirrel um, 
you know, they're primarily tied to the, the ponderosa pine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you taught me that uh, they eat the bark off the, I guess, how would you say this? That the twigs at the end of the branches, yeah. they will trim them off. And so you'll you'll see sometimes, and, and I have this happen in my yard all the time. So I've been a student of this for the last <laughs> last year or so. But you'll see that 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 end of fluffy piece of, of green pine needles fall out of the tree, and then you'll look up there, and, and he'll have the little he'll cut the stem off uh, that was behind that, and he stripped it all clean, and eats all the bark, and then he drops these perfect little white sticks. My daughter collects them to build things with now. Yeah. But um, and that was news to me. I, I didn't know that they they did that. I assume they were all kind of tied to the cones, but you know that wouldn't make sense either because the cones aren't there year round. Well, there. they do. They actually do like cones. Um, uh, nutritionally, the cones are higher higher nutritional value mm-hmm. for them. Um, and so that's always, you know, one of the things that we look for is, you know, how long were their cones on the trees um, going into winter? Okay. You know, had they fall, had they fallen off because the squirrels still have that as a food resource mm-hmm. when they switch to that growth, that, that real end growth on the, on the uh, trees there um, with the, the tissue inside the bark. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real poor quality fo- food. Okay. Um, yeah. I've primarily seen it through the winter. Yeah, it's a it's a poor quality food, um, but it, it gets them by. It's yeah. enough to get them by, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a toxic um, brew for sure. I think yeah. for most of the other animals, if they were they were trying to eat oh, it, so sure. Abert squirrels sure. are are uniquely adapted to be able to, to live off that uh, during the the lean time. So, so when a new squirrel hunter is is looking at at the ponderosa pine forest, you know the rim country, uh, San Francisco peaks around Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. These squirrels, they don't seem to be, well, it's funny because my experience is some places they've been abundant, but in these large expanses of Ponderosa, they don't, they seem to be spread out. So what what does a hunter look for to find these? So obviously the, you know, there, there's a number of factors that go into like squirrel selection, um, uh, on this, uh, what, what I always call, I, I, I like to refer to them as, as a bunch of different trees. There's, there's your safety tree, there's your home tree, there's your food tree, or, mm-hmm. and multiple of those. Um, it, so as you, as you look around, and then there's like all this fresh growth. Like there's, there's brand new things coming up that are, you know, they're almost too small for a squirrel to worry about right away. They're not producing cones. You know, they're, they're, just, they're the saplings okay. um, kind of coming up. But there's kind of within a squirrel's home range what you'll find is you'll find the safety tree. The safety trees are, are, eh, I mean, somewhat numerous, Mm -hmm. but they're squirrels that they're trees that they, like if you spooked a squirrel, if you've ever had this happen to you, if you, if you come across a squirrel real quick and you give chase to it, he's running specifically to somewhere. Um, and he's not stopping until he gets there. And what he's running to is the safety tree. Um, and this is a tree that generally has like, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an adult tree, very, you know, m- mature tree. It's got a big canopy up on top, plenty of places for it to kind of hang out and all that. Um, of course they might also be running to their home tree where their drays at. Um, if you've ever, you know, mm-hmm. run across those, those big pine needle bundles, you know, yeah. they, it, it, they're usually in trees that have a deformity somehow. Um, it's kind of the one thing I've noticed is, is that the upper portion of the tree has a deformity that makes it more solid to build their nest. That's interesting. I've, um, I haven't noticed that, but and, I'll look for it now. Yeah. The, it's, it's almost as though the top is malformed in some way. Like the branches got 
yeah. you know, twisted in the wind or they, they kind of like antlers on a deer where they palmate or, right. you know, um, do different things. And so squirrels would do that. And then, then there's the feed trees. Um, you know, these are trees that for whatever reason, apparently everything on this tree tastes good, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, cause it's not every tree. You'd think it could be every tree, but it's not. There's, there's trees where you'll walk up and you'll see pine needle bundles, you know, the, the, the ends of the ponderosa pine, just those, the big bushy bundles of green pine needles. You'll see tons of them around the base. You'll see, you know, on, on particular trees, you'll see like layers of this around the edge of the tree where there's like old, the old dead ones from last year. There's the black ones from a few years ago. Uh There's a lot of those stripped sticks, like you were just talking about, you know, they, they look like pencil. They're about the, you know, the width of, of the pencil, maybe six, five, six, seven inches long all around the tree. There's going to be scales, pine cone scales. So there's the, the, the heart of the pine cone mm-hmm. where all the scales have been ripped off. You're going to see fresh, you're going to see old, but the fresher you see, obviously like this is, this is a good tree, Spot, you know, yeah. they're hitting it, it pretty hard. So if you watch that tree during the day, you know, they're coming to that one, right. you know, unless, you know, the strange weather conditions, they don't like wind. Windy days are really bad for squirrels mm-hmm. um, because they can't hear the predators. Yep. And so they don't like going out in that, particularly cold days. Sometimes, you know, deep in the winter when it's really yeah. cold, they don't like coming out. I've noticed um, that you get little bits of movement. I, I, I found, at least in my yard, I'll put it yeah. this way, when they come to the feeders, it's usually late morning. And this is when it's cold, snowy, yeah. um, late morning, they'll, they'll show up yeah. and not for long. And they're, they're in bed the rest of the time. They just yeah. don't move much. Prior to storms coming in, you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of activity yep. because they know it's coming for however they know. I have no idea, but uh, they get out. There's a flurry of activity because they're just trying to bulk up on anything they can find food-wise because they're going to end up spending you know however long yeah. in the nest. Um, could be a while before right. they, they come out again. So I, I've recognized that. Just since, since I've lived in, in squirrel habitat now, I have all these new ideas, and, but I have noticed, <laughs> and it's all happening right out my window on these feeders. But uh, I've noticed that right before a big snowstorm, man, yeah. they'll just come out in abundance uh, stocking mm-hmm. up on food. It's cra- you know, it makes you wonder how they know. Yeah. You know? Well, and so, I mean, usually, you know, I mean, if, if you're interested in squirrel hunting at all and it's late in the winter, that December time frame, mm-hmm. um, yeah, watch the news. You know, if you hear that there's a big storm coming the day before, you better make sure you're out there because <laughs> yeah. it's probably going to be your best day of squirrel hunting you've ever seen. So, yeah, well, yeah, I would say, especially with Abert's, um, my, uh, my preferred method is to just move slowly through the woods, look and listen. Um, you know, they're not hard to spot when they're moving around, you'll see them. They got those big old white fluffy tails. Um, and then, you know, you have the fun of trying to get up on them and Mm -hmm. that's just, yeah, everything about it is fun. So let's, let's go, let's go this direction then. So now our, our, uh, our hunter has, has a a couple squirrels in his bag. Um, Mm -hmm. well, you know, going back to that gear thing, one thing I always like to mention when I talk about hunting that I think a lot of people don't think about is keeping a cooler with ice, Mm -hmm. um, in the back of your truck. Uh, this time of year, my coolers just stay back there. But, uh, yeah, keeping that meat fresh is absolutely imperative. Um, you know, going back to those childhood days of mine, um, back then I remember eating the things I brought home and, and there was a gamey flavor or whatever that flavor is that people are referring to when they say, say gamey, that was there. now as an adult, I, I take implicable care of my meat. It's very important to me to bring home clean, good meat. Um, and I, have not had that since. Right. Um, so yeah, I like to remind people, uh, have a cooler, have a cooler, some, I, I like to use ice jugs. Um, that way your, your critters not sitting in a pool of melted ice water. Uh, but yeah, frozen jugs out of the freezer and you know, you yeah. 
that reduces bacteria right there too. Yeah. Um, you know, the moment, it, the crazy part is, is how many people think, you know, who, who don't, who don't hunt, who aren't familiar with game, who don't eat it. Like, you know, just how like, they're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's dirty. It's unclean. It's mm -hmm. cause you know, it's out in the field or, you know, whatever. And it's not your traditional method, you know, going to the butcher, uh, <laughs> or the slaughterhouse. But, um, yeah, the, the moment we harvest anything is the moment we're going to, that, that you start to introduce problems, yeah. um, to the meat, like the meat inside is sterile. Um, it's, it's, air, it's water, it's soil, it's, you know, that's right. where all the bacteria and the bad stuff live. So, you know, as you start your process of getting into it, that's, that's when, when problems begin. And so, um, yeah, keeping it cool. Uh, yeah, too many times, you know, you see stuff, you know, floating in, in half melted ice water and you're yeah. like, Ooh, yeah, I don't know. That's I want to eat that. To yeah. Me. Who knows what else is in that water at this point now? So, well, I'll tell you what, um, just quickly before I want to I want to get into basically processing because I think squirrels are they're kind of tough they're, they're they're not easy to clean they're not like a rabbit but before we move on though completely from methods I want to mention one more story um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't shine a, a a good light on me but again as a kid uh, I had a feral childhood I don't know what else to say I ran around <laughs> in the woods like a crazy man I didn't have you know my dad wasn't in the picture to show me the right way to do these things so I just figured it all out of myself and it, it 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 was a very rich and valuable childhood and a rich valuable way to learn but it was, it was pretty chaotic too but again going back to those old sporting magazines there was taps tips I, I, was that field and stream uh, either that or outdoor life. Yeah, one of those, two, one of the two big ones. But taps tips is always short, just tips. And one of them was about smoking squirrels out of a tree once they got into a hollow tree. Now, granted, this is not Arizona. This would be a very serious situation if, if this was Arizona. This is back <laughs> in the Missouri Ozarks. And who knows, probably an oak or something. But I, I read about this method where if you lose a squirrel in hollow of a tree, you just build a little fire at the, at the, at a, at the hollow at the base and you smoke them out. And uh, so I couldn't wait to get out and try this. I lost a squirrel in a tree, built a little fire in the base of the tree. And before long, you know, there's smoke coming out of little holes up in the branches and stuff. And it wasn't long and that, that squirrel came out of there. And um, it was, I'll spare you the details. It was not fun. The squirrel's not in good shape when he came out. And I remember I felt really bad as a kid that I'd done that. Um, but I ended up, you know, killing the squirrel. And um, I thought I'd put the, the fire out entirely. I go home and then I go back out probably the next day because that's all i did but and the woods were black <laughs> now now granted it was like it was like a controlled burn you know it was just the the, the leaf litter on the floor the that was burnt off the trees were all still alive but I, it just it took me a while i stood there staring at it and just then it hit me it's like oh no <laughs> i did this and of course i turned around ran ran home and, and didn't tell anybody about it for a long long time but um yeah uh, don't, don't do that. That's not a good method. Yeah. Yeah. The smoking squirrels out. Well, I, I, I would bet that was probably a pretty impactful moment for you. Absolutely. Um, it was. I mean, I, I remember, uh, uh, just on a, on a brief note of a story. Um, so I took a trip with my family and, and like we were, who knows, we were way out in the middle of nowhere. I can't even remember where it was, but I knew no one else like you know, that I went to school with or out of my hometown of 1500 people had gone to. Yeah. And I bought a t-shirt and it had a very distinctive like tag. 
uh, you know, that all shirts have a, have a tag that, you know, for sale or whoever the company that makes it is or whatever. And, um, I, I, at some point I like, I mean, I was a dumb kid or whatever. And it was like, you know, I ripped the tag off and, and I was home and, or in our hometown anyway, I wasn't at home, but, um, I, I threw it out the window, you know? And I remember finding that tag like three years later oh, wow. when I was doing cleanup, oh. working, working for the, the um, place where, you know, I had ripped it off and thrown it out the window Yeah, and I found it as I was cleaning up this side hill, you know, we were, we were up on a hill and so the trash had developed, you know, by going over a hill. And I remember finding that and that was super impactful for me going, that stayed there this long. Yeah. Like, so I, you know, cause it's like, look at all this trash in there, this garbage and all that stuff. It, it was me. Yeah. I was part of this problem. You know? <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it was super impactful to me at that point to be like, oh, okay. You know, right. I, I have, I have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And we all do. What a great, what a great lesson though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Jeez. Yeah. I, you know, that, that's a whole nother story, but I sometimes like, you know, I, the, this whole like growing up in the school of hard knocks when it comes to outdoor pursuits, I have talked about this before. And one of these days I'll do a, a whole podcast on, on raising outdoorsy children. But, you know, am I doing the right thing? by handing my children opportunities and giving them all of this guidance, you know, and when I very much value the way I had to just figure it all out, you know, Mm -hmm. we didn't even have hunter safety, you know, at least I I wasn't exposed to it. Sure. Um, Again, I have a trigger gun hard on my, on my, my shotgun, but, uh, but we worked it all out and we stayed safe and learned a lot. And those are very valuable experiences now. And I don't know if I'm doing the right thing by not offering that, that to my child, but no, I, I, I I think you are. I mean, I think, um, as I've gotten to see it, you know, there, there are some of us as hunters who are very curmudgeon Mm -hmm. and, you know, the way I was taught is the way it should be. And, you know, kind of carrying this and, to be honest with you, um, I mean, you might think hunting is the same, but the hunters aren't, yeah. you know, and, and who we're trying to get into it. And, and, you know, the reasons why, you know, this was like some father to son, you know, generational pass down thing. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. I mean, I, I think we're trying to diversify our portfolio yeah. <laughs> of hunting and hunters, um, you know, gender, age, race, I mean, you name it. Um, and they don't have that, you know, for, uh, for some of them, they don't have that history, right. You know, of this, this legacy generational, like my grandfather, my father, me, all our stuff, they're coming into hunting for new reasons, for various reasons that aren't the same as a, as a legacy passed down. Now it's great to, to educate them on, you know, some of that, but some people are coming into it for, you know, strictly food reasons. They, they don't like the industrial right. food complex and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're interested in ethical food sourcing or sustainable food sourcing, or, you know, uh, I've, I've met so many women whose dads never, you know, they were, right. they shot with them, but they were never allowed to go out hunting with them. Yeah. And so they never learned. And now they're, they're finally picking it up. And, you know, that, that kind of question of, you know, like they were dying to go. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want kids to not, um, you know, I, I knew that with my own daughter. Like, I, I don't want her to not have the opportunity. Right. And one of the things that I realized in in my journey was, you know, I felt like at some point maybe I was I was pushing my own agenda on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped and I said, "Hey, you know, maybe you don't like hunting this." And I, I've never asked a question like, yeah. "Like, what would you want to hunt?" Right. 
you know, tell me what you want on instead of me trying to like, you know, yeah. force you into doing these things. And, oh, I might want to shoot a duck. I'm like, really? Okay, cool. It's, that would be fun. Let's, we'll try that, you know, and mm-hmm. just to value that input from them, you know, yeah. of what they, they see and, and are interested in. So, yeah, I follow you. Uh, and that, that, that's good points for sure. Also, you know, kids, they don't have, they don't run around, um, all, all wild and free, like, like we did when we were yeah. kids either. So the, yeah. those opportunities I think just don't really exist yeah. anymore. I can't imagine but, you like just handing both your kids guns and tell them to go take walks in the woods and I'll see no. you like eight hours later. <laughs> no, no. But the thing is, the thing I struggle with, I still see the value in that. Though. Right. Right. No, there <laughs> but is, no, I'm yeah. not going to do that with my kids, even though I want them to have that, that freedom. I, I don't give it to them. I worry, you know, right. in different mm-hmm. times. But hey, I am excited, and and you know, John knows both my kids. But my daughter, who is all pink and sparkles and kitty cats and everything, um, which I should I, I want to throw in the caveat though that she'll she'll sleep in the dirt with the the toughest grown men out there though. Yeah. But uh, she doesn't doesn't really have that that prey drive. But man, lately she's all about wanting to shoot a rabbit with her bow. She can't pull her bow back yet. She's really close, <laughs> but she really wants to. So I'm pretty excited about that. So who yeah. knows? Um, all right, where were we, John? I lost my place. Um, talked about how to find squirrels in these woods. Um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll throw out there with that. I tend to like, I mean, I, I found them on all slopes of mountains, but I tend to like a little thicker um, grove of uh, ponderosa. You know, in these days that could be anywhere, but, you know, the north, the east slopes are always good places to find those um, in riparian areas. Um, even in, when it's just ponderosa, there's usually a few oaks thrown in, but those riparian areas tend to be a little bit thicker, and I tend to find more squirrels in those places. For, for me, I, I actually look, when I look for, for potential squirrel habitat that, that I prefer to hunt in, uh-huh. I like mixed habitat. Okay. And what I mean by that is is all different age classes of ponderosa trees. Yeah. Like I wanted to have like really okay. old ancient mature trees, maybe some midlife trees, maybe some dog hair thicket, you know, new ones coming up. Yeah. I think for me, that level of diversity of trees is really good for squirrels, you know, because they can occupy the, the old mature trees. Mm-hmm. They can probably feed off those, those midlife trees and also have kind of that, that turnover. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and squirrels are squirrely. You know, let's, 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 let's be honest. I mean, sometimes they do crazy things that you, you know, you kind of question like why their behavior is that. And mm-hmm. so I think that mix gives them a good kind of playground, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I, to me, that was probably one of the biggest things that, that struck me about squirrels that I could, I could point to. It's trees that have interlocking or almost interlocking canopies where I can see that a squirrel can jump from one tree to the next. Mm-hmm. It's their jungle gym. Like to me, like that, okay, this is a squirrel's playground. If I can find that where, you know, you've got these mature trees that almost connect. Yeah. Okay. Here's the jungle gym. There's likely to be squirrels here, you know, as they move through the trees. So Awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, I remember where we got sidetracked um, and that was in processing. Yeah. Um, And and this is, it's not even a fair question because I I don't know how you can describe it, but um, rabbits are pretty easy. Um, you know, you make a slice, you know, up to the skin in the back and you pull those shirt and pants off. No mm-hmm. big deal. Easy. Well, squirrels, especially for a new hunter, um, who, who wants, you know, a quality product with the meat, they're, they're pretty tough to clean. I mean, they, they're, they're tough critters, you know, mm-hmm. their skin is really tough. Yeah. Do you have any tips or advice on, on how to do that without being able to show folks? No, I mean, the, the shirt and pants technique is, is mm-hmm. definitely one, um, uh, 
uh, my buddy Clifton again, Clifton Jackson. That's I mean that's his preferred method. The way yeah. he does he does his squirrels. Um, when I learned the 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 really interesting method of of stepping on the tail yeah. and you know making the cut and and doing that um, that technique, I've just I've been enthralled with, and it doesn't work hundred percent of the time. Good at it, I, I have. Yeah. Um, uh, it doesn't work hundred percent of the time. Uh, you just gotta, you right. know, be mindful of that. When it does, it feels um, good, though. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a it's like a cool. It's almost like a party trick, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> when you can do it right. But um, can you can you describe that real quick so folks know what you're talking about? Yeah. So uh, I I can't remember what it's called. Like maybe it's like the Missouri method, or I can't, I can't remember what name I was told that it was. But if you take a squirrel. And you're looking at its backside. You lift up its tail. You basically are making a cut uh, through the base of its tail, but you're not cutting through the skin on the other side. Right. Um, you're just trying to make that disconnect. And then you flip it down on the ground, step on the tail. You're grabbing the two hind feet, and you're just pulling up. You're using the the, the separation force from you know holding it down with your foot and pulling the legs up to to try and pull the skin off. And it really pulls it off like a like a shirt and what you're left with is the pants on it and then you can just kind of grab peel it and, and peel those off and uh when it works it works great but you know I, I i realize it's not for everyone i spend a lot of time you know um working them like you would field dressing a deer you know mm-hmm. trying to use a knife and yeah. and stuff around little bits of meat now that's that's pretty time consuming in yeah. and of itself on a squirrel but um but yeah i if you can find a technique that works, I mean, the biggest, your biggest concern is just how much hair mm-hmm. from a squirrel ends up on the meat because uh, they're so hairy and it does. Out. I mean, yeah. you're never going to be hundred percent clean ever. Mm-hmm. It, it just, I think it's impossible. Right. Um, the only way that I've, I've heard of it being completely possible is the way that they process squirrels in Southeast Asia, uh, where they just burn them. Right. Uh, the Hmong people do this, like where they literally, They've just shot a squirrel. It's the youngest of the hunters in the in the camp. His job is they literally just burn all the hair off on the squirrels. They haven't even <laughs> cleaned them uh-huh. out yet. They just burn it all off, um, getting crispy, and then they can yeah, actually start working with it yeah. after that. But I ate a small rodent in Peru that was prepared that way. Yeah. And, John, it was delicious. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you had this fatty, crispy skin. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it was good. Um, so I've been tempted to. To maybe try that someday, yeah. You know, here in the states and, and see it just it it you know when in Rome, um, things yeah. seem more appropriate and probably be a little harder to stomach here. But man, it was good there. Yeah. So. Well, and it's it. What's funny about squirrel hide, um, their skin. It's 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 amazing. So it, when you have fresh squirrel hide, like you've just taken it off the animal, uh-huh. off a fresh freshly harvested animal, it's as tough as elk skin. You know, I mean, it's, it's as tough as elk. Okay. Like, like I use, I tell people all the time, if you want to practice fleshing, like, you, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're putting up skins of other animals, yeah. you want a little bit of practice time. It is the perfect practiced animal, you know, for like kids to get them to understand, you know, r- removing that layer inside. But once they're dry, they're about as, as fragile as, uh, huh. as onion paper. Huh. <laughs> it, squirrels, it's the weirdest thing. Yeah. Fresh squirrel hide. Really super tough, like some of the toughest leather you ever run into. And the moment it's dried out, it's like onion paper. Yeah. It just crumbles. Yeah. yeah. And th- there's a big difference between young and the year as well, mm-hmm. um, which are going to be a lot easier to clean in a super old squirrel. Yeah. 
they're they're just man they're tough as nails um and that, that's probably a good segue into cooking them too because that's yeah. going to affect how, how you cook them how you protect prepare oh, yeah. them and how they turn out so yeah we, we've gone already over an hour but but yeah we, we can't do this without talking a little bit about cooking and i guess i should say as far as John O'Dell goes, this this is just one tiny little layer of, of who John is. <laughs> um, John's got John's got uh, this this weird mind that holds details of everything throughout his entire life and everything he's ever learned, and it's 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 amazing. The, the man's got a lot of knowledge locked up in his head, and squirrels is only one little part of that. But um, John also is uh, is uh, a, a pretty well renowned wild game cook as well. Um, so with that, you know, with that, I don't, there, there's so much we could talk about you with you, John, we could just take a day <laughs> to do this, but uh, without going into too much detail on your, uh, your, your wild game cooking prowess, let's talk uh, about just a few ways, uh, recommended ways to prepare squirrels. So, uh, yeah, um, here's the, the, here's the major problem. Uh, first year squirrels, mm-hmm. super tender, delicious, wonderful, anything after that, is super tough. Yeah. Still delicious. <laughs> uh, still delicious. Yeah. But it's just that meat, mm-hmm. when it gets, when the animal gets aged to it, that meat just becomes tougher overall <clears throat> to deal with. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if, if you can tell the difference, great. Um, if you can't, you're playing Russian roulette. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you could, you could theoretically just treat every squirrel the same. Right. Um, stay away from fried squirrel and gravy. Um, unless you have, you know, you have all yearlings, but if you um, have all yearlings, definitely, definitely do, do it. Definitely do it. Yeah. I, I've had them so tender. They were like the, the chicken wings that you get at the grocery store, you know, under the heat lamps and stuff. Yeah. They're that tender. Oh, they were, they're absolutely super. Yeah. It's, it's a quintessential dish, but, um, the way to deal with tough squirrels, um, there's a couple ways you can do it. One is to grind the meat. Um, the other is a long, slow braise. Yep. Um, because you're just trying to, to, to that connective tissue, you're just trying to break it down with that long, slow braise. Um, and every squirrel you cook, you're going to find this out. Every squirrel you cook is going to be different, mm-hmm. and it's all going to be based on its age. Um, the older the squirrel is, the more time it's going to take. Yeah. Um, I have literally gotten a pot of, of chicken stock, thrown whole squirrels in, let it boil for a while, and Every squirrel in there is great except for one. Yeah. There's one that like literally is impossible at that point to try and get <laughs> the meat off, even though all the rest of them, it's like the meat just falling off the bone. Right. It goes back in the pot and it just sits there and it cooks and it cooks and cooks until it's ready to go. You know, it, it, it tells me when it's done. Right. Squirrel, uh, squirrel cooking sometimes is about time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's give it the time it needs to, to be as delicious as it should be. So, um, but, or yeah, like I said, you can cut the meat directly off the bone, um, you know, and use it as a part of a grind, uh-huh. um, that, that takes care of the toughness right away. I mean, obviously it's, it's cut very thin, very, you know, at that point it's ground. Um, and so you can definitely use it in that manner. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, that's, that's my preferred. I, I like to braise, um, yeah. you know, if I know I have young squirrels, um, which is a little harder here in the West than it is out East where you have that long summer season. But, um, when I, I know I have young ones, I, no question. I'm going to fry them. Uh, when, when I, it's questionable or I know they're older squirrels, I like to braise them. And there's so many good recipes that you can braise squirrels into. I mean, you can braise them until the meat falls apart and make sandwiches out of it. You know, there's mm-hmm. just limitless. Um, I remember when me and my little boy went down for the Chiricahua fox squirrel, we only had that one squirrel and we only wanted one squirrel too. We, this is not a species that you go out and you harvest a bunch of them. So 
we had this little bit of precious meat and want to do something nice with it. So we ended up making a uh, Mexican fox squirrel uh, chili Rolanos, which was awesome. It was an awesome use of that meat. And they were delicious. Um, and in that case, yeah, we just braised it until we fall off. Now, when we're talking about braising, oh, we can speed that process up um, by uh, using a pressure cooker as well. Instapots, yeah. Yeah, yeah Instapot, yeah. pressure cooker. Um, and then you can also take that meat. And if you're just dying for fried squirrel and gravy, which is completely understandable and, and a reasonable thing to, to, to be craving, um, you can you can parboil. What do we call it? Parboiling? Parboiling, yeah. yeah parboil it first to tenderize that meat and then fry it. I don't think you're going to get as good a quality as you would with fresh young squirrels. but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's all kinds yeah. of different ways to do this, um, and boy, they're in my opinion, one of the the very best meats running around in the woods. Yeah, and, and it, I think for the most part, they're they're probably the best. If you were to describe squirrel meat to someone, um, now now the reason why squirrel is actually very good that I, I think most people overlook it is the fattiest of all the game species. It has higher fat content than any of the rest of them, which is what saves it in cooking Mm -hmm. because it keeps the meat juicier. Um, It doesn't dry out the way like other very, very lean game meats. You know, it's just, it has a natural fat to it. Um, But texture wise, color wise, I mean, you're probably looking at the best mix of chicken and pork. It has qualities and tendencies of both. Mm-hmm. Um, in its in its cooking and its texture and in the way you know to best prepare it, you know if you're if you're looking for some kind of recipe to, to how do I you know use the squirrel in a recipe, I'd start there as looking at, at you know a, a number of pork or or chicken recipes, um, and any of the flavors that work with those two will definitely work with squirrel. So yeah, yeah. The, yeah, I can't say any better. They're delicious. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a dense, not light, not dark meat. Right, it's perfect. I think. Yeah. But all right. Um, well, with all that, I certainly hope people will get out um, and give these guys a try. Um, you know, whether you're new to hunting, whether you're you know old and set in your ways, and you can only hunt things with big antlers. Uh, just just give it a rest. Go hunt some squirrels. You're not gonna, you're not going to be disappointed. I can promise you that. Um, and I, I should point out that, uh, you know, I nailed John down to doing this before the opening of squirrel season, which is September 30th. Correct, John? Uh, I believe so. Okay. That that first opening weekend, uh, the Arizona Wildlife Federation, along with the Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, is holding their annual family squirrel camp. Um, and I'm telling you from firsthand experience, it is a blast. Um, it is a family-focused event, but that doesn't matter. If you don't have a family, come on out anyway. There's we'll pl- be your family. Plenty, yeah, we'll <laughs> be your family. Plenty of adult time. Uh, there's plenty of libations around the campfire. It is so much fun. Uh, so come out and join us, and you look in our show notes for that, but look quickly because I think at, at the time of recording, we're already at capacity. I think I capped it at like 30. Um, but, uh, yeah, reach out to me if you have any questions. Look at that. And before, before we go, though, like I mentioned a while ago, there is a lot of layers to John O'Dell. And if you like what you hear here and, and you want to hear more, uh, the man's got a lot to talk about. Um, you need to check out his podcast. You want to tell us about that, John? Yeah. So um, my podcast is uh, from the Backburner podcast. Um, if you're Googling it, make sure to add the word podcast to it. Uh, somebody else had a podcast years ago called From the Backburner. And I struggled, it'll, it'll I struggled take, with that one. I yeah, looked for it. Yeah, it'll, it'll take you to weird spots. But it's on all the major platforms. Um, we, uh, I, 
it kind of follows me around on a strange journey. Um, I have guests that you don't normally hear on mm-hmm. the mainstream hunting podcast, yep. um, talking about subjects sometimes that you're not hearing on, on the mainstream podcast. Um, there's a, there's a, a definite focus on small game as well as hunting conservation and food. Um, and, uh, I've, I take it with me when I travel. Um, I, I did a, a about a four podcast series on, on my trip to England and throwing myself into, into England's, uh, hunting culture and community and food and, and that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, just introduce you to people that I just think are absolutely fascinating and interesting and, and talk about subjects that, you know, either I want to learn more about, or, or, you know, I think that, that you guys might enjoy as well. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, you can go to from the backburner podcast.com uh, where there's a website there. Uh, or if you want, just check it up on your favorite uh, podcast listening service and uh, everything iTunes, Apple, Spotify, you name it. So it's all there. So awesome. Yeah, I think fascinating is the right word for that podcast. It is. It's fascinating. Yeah, there's it's 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 not going to be your normal run of the mill conversations with with uh, right. normal run of the mill people. So, yep. All right, John, thanks for making time for this, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Bye. All right. I am sure that you are inspired now to get out in our piney woods and uh, chase some tassel-eared squirrels around. And, man, I don't blame you. I am too. So get out and enjoy this amazing fall weather we're having here in Arizona uh, and do some squirrel hunting. And, you know, take, take what you learned there, pass, pass it down to your daughters and your sons and your neighbors and friends, because um, it's, it's a resource we should all be utilizing and enjoying and caring about and protecting. <sighs> so uh, with that, um, I know you learned a lot because Jonathan Odell is just an amazing man with a ton of knowledge in that brain of his. And he, th- this is just the tip of the iceberg. Go check out his From the Backburner podcast. And, and yeah, he, he a breadth of breadth of knowledge. Uh, this man is, I know you're going to enjoy that. And don't forget that this podcast is brought to you by the Arizona, brought to you by the Arizona wildlife Federation. Uh, this organization is one that I am fiercely proud of. Uh, we are a bipartisan pragmatic science-based organization. Um, and if you would like to support the hard work that we do protecting our wild places and our wildlife and our access to our public lands, um, Check us out at a link below and, uh, yeah, support the work we do, uh, whether it be financially or physically, you know, we would love to have you aboard. So thanks so much. And we will see you next time.